0: these oh, yep. Welcome tonight. A quick, uh, a quick correction from last week for you guys who paid attention, who were thinking Cameron's crazy. If you guys listened to last week's podcast or if you were here, for some reason I somehow thought that Paul existed in the Old Testament. Sorry about that. Did you guys catch that? After I said it, like ten minutes into the message, after that I'm like. Did I just say Paul was with Rahab? I'm like, wow, that's totally a mixture of like two stories. Yeah, that was just one of the, uh, one of the spies, I think, that went into Jericho. But anyways, you guys got the point, right? So the, Paul wasn't even part of the story, really. It was about Rahab, so it really didn't change the story any. Huh? hmm So. Exactly. Let's move forward. Let's not stay in the past. Let's move forward to the future. Who's with me? 2008, brand new year. All right. Have you ever been somewhere, whether it's school or it's a store or maybe it's somewhere outside, and as you were there, whatever activity you were doing, maybe walking around, someone stood out to you. You might not even know why, but someone just stood out to you. They caught your attention. And maybe even as you walked by them, and it might have just been even for a split second they caught your attention, something inside of you felt different. Something changed. And when you looked at them, something just kind of seemed different. It wasn't like love or nothing like that, but something else deep inside of yourself. And maybe even you realize that feeling and you said, maybe there's something I'm supposed to do or something I'm supposed to say to this person. Maybe God's trying to tell me to do something right now because I feel this weird connection right now with this person. Have you guys have ever felt that? And then very, very often probably figured you're too busy and just walked past. I've been in that situation plenty of times where I felt that weird feeling deep down inside myself. saw somebody and felt a weird connection. But I didn't really do anything about it. I just walked by and just kind of left it go. If you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians 5. You guys go ahead and get there. In 5 here, there's quite possibly, man, one of the the most beautiful passages, I think, in the whole New Testament... Um, it's amazing. I have it underlined and boxed in my Bible. It's a really, really awesome one, and um I'm still on my message kick. I have been this entire year um and reading through the message sometimes you get this really kind of beautiful wording and um you know obviously I have n i v message split, and it's good to check to check um you know both, but there's this really, really beautiful wording to it um and I love this section it's it's i believe fourteen through twenty one kind of hard to break. Um, from the message to the NIV. But I want to read it for you in the, in, the, in the message. You guys can read over it then in your, own, uh, in your own translation, but you listen to this. It says, Our firm decision is to work from this focus center. And this is Paul talking when he wrote to the Corinthians. He says, One man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. He included everyone in his death so that everyone could also be included in his life a resurrection life, a far better life than people ever lived on their own. Because of this decision, we don't evaluate people by what they have or how they look. We looked at the Messiah that way once and got it all wrong, as you know. We certainly don't look at him that way anymore. Now we look inside, and what we see is that anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, is created new. The old life is gone, a new life burgeons, which means begins. Look at it. All this comes from God who settled the relationship between us and him and then called us to settle our relationships with each other. God put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. God has given us the task of telling everyone what he is doing. We're Christ's representatives. God uses us to persuade men and women to drop their differences and enter into God's work of making things right between them. We're speaking for Christ himself now. Become friends with God. He's already a friend with you. How you say? In Christ. God put the wrong on him who never did anything wrong so we could be put right with God. That's an amazing section. You read through that. I mean, you obviously read through in your own translation as well. But man, there's so many things about that that are so striking in that statement. I mean, it sums up so much that's changed in my life, so much that I've seen take place in so many other lives as well. Um, And when you read through that, it's one of those verses I always talk about that you can just read over it and just read it as a paragraph, or you can read it and feel a tremendous weight hang on those words. And you can realize that that isn't a verse, that isn't a section that's just meant to be read and the page turned. But instead, when you read that, it's a verse where you stop afterwards and you look back over it and you realize that those words require a response. That you can't just read over them and say that's a good, good few words in the Bible, but when you read it, it cuts something open inside of you and you think about it and you think, I have to look at that and put it next to my own life. And said it's amazing, um, and it has this, these different sections, man, talking about what salvation is. I love the fact that it says one man died for everyone. That puts everyone in the same boat. It goes on, it says anyone united with the Messiah gets a fresh start, created new. He put the world square with himself through the Messiah, giving the world a fresh start by offering forgiveness of sins. But I like this part. It goes on, and says that God has given us the task of telling everyone, telling everyone what he is doing. An amazing story deserves to be told. Man, have you guys ever heard like those crazy stories from a person? A lot of times you hear them two or three times. Like someone has just a, a ridiculous experience. I don't know what it could be. Go to a party or hang out with friends, and there's like that insane story. You know, where, <laughs> Exactly, exactly. And like the story just like, you know those ones where like throughout it, you're just like, What? No way! Like you're so shocked. And a lot of times you'll hear that story like two or three times. The person will come back to you and like, "Did I tell you about what happened?" You're like, "Yeah, you told me," but actually tell me again because it was a pretty good story. An amazing story deserves to be told, and to be retold over again. You know, I mean, think about just the awesome stories. I've thought about my own family, and you guys probably have it too. There's stories that my dad have told about my grandfather and about his dad that I look forward to telling my kids someday great stories, I mean, that deserve to be told. You know, I mean, obviously my kids deserve someday to hear about their grandfather who built a business with his own bare hands to take and survive, that he was so poor that when he was a kid, he would literally go and shoot pigeons in people's barns and eat them, and that he turned around to making his own life by taking it and working with his hands and creating enough where he bought his own Corvette in a plane I mean, he'd completely changed his life, turned it all around. And that's an amazing story. That story deserves to be passed on and told through generations down past to see about how cool that is that a man can take and go from nothing to becoming something. The story deserves to be told. And that's what we see in this section as well, is this amazing story that I says has weight. It says that this story deserves to be retold and retold again it's a it's a section and it's it's a it's a verb if you go through this and you look at the overlying message it's something that changes everything and we're supposed to put this in other people's hands jesus uh actually instituted this to, uh this too um perhaps even well more well known than this section that says that we're supposed to tell everyone is the one that a lot of people use matthew 28 19 through 20 Um, It says, God authorized and commanded me to commission you, this is Jesus speaking to the disciples, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practices of all I've commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. It's what a lot of people call the Great Commission, which is no more than basically saying that You've heard this amazing truth, and you have it in your hands now, but it's not yours just to stand and stare at. Instead, you're supposed to go and present this to other people. Like I said, an amazing story deserves to be told. It makes sense. It makes perfect sense. I know a lot of you guys are sitting out there saying, I have received salvation, and it does make sense. It's a great story. And that idea of telling people makes sense as well, but a lot of times in my own life, I can't help but feel like I'm not doing that. Very, very often, in fact, quite often, I have that feeling that I'm not doing a very good job at it. Just something in the back of my head that maybe comes forward, and I think that maybe I'm missing opportunities, and maybe I'm not telling this story like I should be. Does the same feeling come to you? Maybe just something small in the back of your mind. There's a lot that we could talk about when it comes to the story of Jesus Christ and how we should be propelling this forward into people's hands. There's a ton. Man, I mean, I could preach every single week for the whole rest of the year and probably still have things that you could talk about when it comes about, about actually telling people about this, this great and amazing story. But we're just going to talk about one little section of the Bible. We're going to look at one story from the Bible and take and apply that to what we're talking about. And that's what we're going to focus on tonight. So what I want you to do is, while I'm talking, turn to Luke 19. I want everyone to be there if you have a Bible, because this is a story that we're going to focus on for everything here. I'll give you a background. By Luke 19, which, a separate background, Luke's my favorite, favorite uh, of, the, of the four uh, epistles, apostles, gospels, whatever you want to call them. Um, that is my favorite, which is kind of cool. Um, Jesus Christ, by, by Luke 19, has been born and raised... Um, he's been baptized by John the Baptist. He's been tested in his time away um, where the devil came and tried to test him. He's begun his ministry, and he's done many signs and wonders, healed a lot of people already at this time. And in fact, what we're catching in Luke 19 is that Jesus Christ is now heading back to Jerusalem to a place where he knows he will be killed, where he will be crucified. And that's obviously Christ's calling, but this is where we're catching him now is he's on that road back with the apostles. So I want to read this to you. And um, just a section you can read along with me, although I'm going to read actually in the message, but you guys will be able to get it. Um, If you have a problem, sometimes when you read, if you read one thing and you listen, you get jacked up. So you could just close your eyes and just listen if that's the problem. (laughs) But Luke 19, it says, Then Jesus entered and walked through Jericho. There was a man there. His name was Zacchaeus, the head tax man and quite rich. He wanted desperately to see Jesus, but the crowd was in his way. He was a short man and couldn't see over top of the crowd. So we ran on ahead and climbed up in a sycamore tree so that he could see Jesus when he came by. When Jesus got to the tree, he looked up and said, Zacchaeus, hurry down. Today is my day to be a guest in your home. Zacchaeus scrambled out of the tree, hardly believing his good luck, delighted to take Jesus home with him. Everyone who saw this incident was indignant and grumped. What business does he have getting cozy with this crook? Zacchaeus just stood there a little stunned. He stammered apologetically, "Master, I give away half my income to the poor, and if I'm caught cheating, I pay four times the damages." Jesus said, "Today is Salvation Day in this home." Here he is, Zacchaeus, son of Abraham, for the Son of Man came to find and restore the lost." It's a really cool story. So Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and what this place, th- this story takes place in the town of Jericho. OK? Heading back, if you've ever seen the map, but here's Jerusalem. Here's a lot of where Jesus was at, and Jericho's pretty close to it, so he's, he's heading back. And there's not really much else around this area, so he's hooking through. Uh, Jericho, going to head right down to Jerusalem. And as he comes through, this is where we finally see the story, as he's coming into town. Um, the guy who's up in this tree, Zacchaeus, really interesting uh, character as well. Head tax man. That means ridiculously wealthy, okay? Taxmen in general at that time were wealthy. Head taxmen, probably even more so. Very wealthy man. How did they make their money? By swindling people. By scamming them and charging them more money than what they were supposed to be. That's how taxmen made all their cash. You're supposed to pay this much, so what they do is they double it and tell you to fork it over. And they became very rich by becoming crooks. Pretty much at this time, taxmen were like, the scourge of society, okay? Like, you'd probably rather stand next to, like, a prostitute or, like, someone like that, not a taxman, because everyone hated the taxman. People found usages for prostitutes and stuff like that. They, they were acceptable. People, like, there's stories in the Bible where they're like, oh, the prostitute sits there, and they're like, oh, I know her. But, like, taxmen, no, not taxmen. Of course not. Taxmen were evil men. But he was wealthy, and most likely, if Zacchaeus wanted to, he probably had armed guards back then. He probably had people who were working around him. He could have probably took and he could have paid people off to go and meet Jesus Christ. He could have said, get on the way. Here's, here's this much, here's this much, this much, and got right up to the front of the crowd. Or maybe, probably because of, of who he was, if you're, if you're that rich of a man, he probably had people who were guards as well with him. He probably could have had big tough guards go over and knock a bunch of people out of the way. and He probably could have got to the front of that crowd as well. But something had changed inside of Zacchaeus. He wasn't the same man as he was just a little while before. Something had changed and God had been working inside of his heart. There was something special that he knew he wanted to see Jesus Christ when he came. And instead of maybe using kind of how this old way was of this of this cheater, instead he takes and he puts himself kind of out of his own element to take and climb a tree. To get I mean, like a little kid, climb up a tree so he can see him instead. Um, And when Jesus sees him, we see this really interesting exchange in which Jesus says, Zacchaeus, he calls him by name, which we don't really hear in in the word if that's because God gave Jesus that name, or it could just be the fact that Zacchaeus is really well known in the city. I mean, you know, it'd be like, I don't know, like a president or someone like that maybe, or someone who's really, really famous in a city, whatever, he's really super powerful. Could have just been the fact that, like, everyone knew Zacchaeus in this town, you know. But he walks and he says, Zacchaeus. And he calls him out, and he calls him down. What's really interesting about this is his interaction here about this. Jesus did not come to Jericho. He was merely passing through Jericho. He didn't plan to take and head to Jericho to do ministry. He didn't plan on, on stopping over in Jericho. He was going to Jerusalem. But what he was doing is he was walking through Jericho. I like the fact that in the NIV it says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. It wasn't like he was making a point of being there. He, it was just on his way. He wasn't coming there to do ministry. There's something powerful in that. You see, Jesus didn't come there to find Zacchaeus. He was just going to Jerusalem. But on the way, this man who was searching after God was there. And he noted him, and he interacted with him. That applies to our own lives. As we go through our days and through our lives, we become ridiculously busy. That's just fact. There's a lot of things that we do in our lives. We have lots that we want to accomplish, a lot of things that we have set out for ourselves, goals as well but I want to challenge you to think about your own lives for a second, about what your goals are and where you're at right now. What is Jerusalem and what is Jericho in your life? Each of us have tasks or goals that we're trying to accomplish every day. Very small goals all the way up to those very, very lofty goals as well. As small as saying, like right now, I'm hungry. My goal is to eat food. As big as saying, my goal is, you know, so and so to become a lawyer or something like that, like that way off goal, that like yeah, that's gonna take years from now. But that's one of my goals that I'm working on, or, or um, you know my, my goal right now is you know I want to be want to be a head pastor over a church, or I want to be a missionary somewhere. If you guys are saved, and like you're thinking in your ministry terms, um, that there's that big goal that you're really focused on. All these targets in our lives are like Jerusalem's in the story of Jesus Christ. That's our goal. That's where we, we need to end up. But along the way, we stumble and walk through Jericho's all the time. And the reality of the fact is, is that there are special moments inside of Jericho that we can miss if we're not paying attention. Think about this. Jesus could have kept on moving on. He could have figured, I'm too busy. i got to get to Jerusalem got to get in trouble there, going to be crucified. He had a lot on his mind. But when he walked through Jericho, he was, he was open, he was thinking. Instead, he actually kept his eyes open to what God was doing on the way. I said he, had a, he had a big plan on what he had to do, but instead he was, he was open to what was going to happen in Jericho. If we want to be able to tell people about Jesus Christ, we have to get past our focus on simply the Jerusalems in our lives. And we have to ask God what he wants us to do in our Jericho today. We all have those goals, but what's happening right now? What's along the way? Here's an example. You could be getting off work or maybe school or whatever, and your Jerusalem is sleep. I've been there. I am tired, and I want to get home, and I want to crash. Seriously. My Jerusalem, my bed. That's where I want to be. But it just so happens that you have to take and you have to stop by like Walmart. You have to get something for your home. Maybe your mom called you or your dad and told you, hey, uh, we need some milk. Or you live on your own and you just figure, man, i got to get toilet paper because the time will arise. and Got to get toilet paper. So you're going to go and you're going to stop there. And instead of entering that place, focused only on one thing, your Jericho and just storming through that place, getting your stuff, Getting checked out and thinking, all I'm waiting for is just to get back into that bed and get some sleep. Instead, slowing down for a minute and thinking about that Walmart as a Jericho. That it's a time, it's a moment, that maybe God does have something for you to do. It's not just something to be passed through without thinking, but instead, there might actually be something there for you. Walmart may be your Jericho. There may be someone in your path that night, somewhere else, whatever, that is at the exact same place where Zacchaeus is at. You see, if Jesus would have came through Jericho perhaps a month earlier, Zacchaeus might have said, oh, Jesus is coming, that's cool, and turned around and continued to collect taxes, continued to steal from people. But the thing was is Jesus came through at a time that was different for Zacchaeus. Something had changed inside of his heart. He was different at this time and the timing was right. The same can be with you. As you walk through that Walmart that night to go pick up something, or wherever it may be, a day earlier it might have meant nothing. A month earlier it might have meant nothing. But maybe that night as you walk through, someone who's working there, someone who's standing in an aisle with you, is at that Zacchaeus moment, and they've climbed inside of that tree, because they want to find something out. And they're ready. As you walk through, you might be sitting there looking at what toilet paper to buy and there might be someone right next to you who could be like a woman who just lost her husband, just lost a family member and is crushed and devastated in her life right now. Or you might be going to, to go pick up something like milk and there's a stock boy who is just lost and furious out of his mind because he got into a ridiculous fight with mom and dad and he doesn't even feel like going home when the night's over because he's just so angry and he doesn't understand why this has to be. So there's people just like that, is who are in those aisles that we're maybe supposed to actually come in contact with. Today they need something. Even on a bigger scale, what about in our lives? We have these Jerusalems, like I said, these far-off goals that we're trying to reach. But so often... What we do is we just walk through these Jericho's, not even thinking about them, because all we can think about is the Jerusalem on the horizon. I want to pastor a church someday, okay? Maybe that's one of my one of my Jerusalems. It, it probably is. It changes back and forth. But I'd love to pastor a church someday, my own church. That'd be awesome. But you know what? I'm not going to walk through every day thinking about the fact of that Jerusalem, thinking about oh, it'll be cool to pastor my own church. No. Because today, today I'm in Jericho, and there are people who need to hear about Jesus Christ. There's so many people who are going to go off and become missionaries, and I hear these stories all the time, and they're like, oh, I just can't wait to get over in the missions field and all this stuff like that. But you know what? They won't take five minutes to tell somebody who's right next to them, who's dying and going to hell, about Jesus Christ. It's cool that you're going to Jerusalem. That's awesome, and Jerusalem is going to be great. I'm not taking anything away from that. Jerusalem was amazing what Jesus did there. But you see, Jericho was pretty amazing too. A man's life was changed there. And it wasn't something that got, Jesus had planned, but there was someone there who was ready. And because Jesus was ready too, it worked out. There's a, there's a pastor from, from the UK. His name is Paul Scanlon. And I just listened to his, his message just last Sunday. Everything with this come together in a really strange way, so I really feel that maybe it is something special. Um, but he was talking about about our futures and about how these people focus on on what they're going to be their entire lives. And he said, you know, people spend their whole lives worrying about what they're going to be. And he says, you know what they do is they forfeit the present and they destroy their future. He says, because if you want to know what you're going to be, be who you are today, and it's going to build into that. You can't spend every day of your life focused on what am I going to be. Who cares on what you're going to be? Who are you going to be today? Because if you don't focus on that, you'll walk through your day lost every single day. And he says they forfeit today and the future by only focusing on the future. He says if you want to figure out who you're going to be, he says be who you are today. I love it. He stopped and he says that means moms. He says you stay at home mom. He says tomorrow, he says God has called you to do that and look at what God has for you in that. He says, you know, whoever you are, he says, you're a factory worker. God has called you to do that tomorrow. And what does that mean for you? What are you supposed to do tomorrow? He says, if you focus on that. I use the term, um, Shelby's been using it back and forth to me now lately because it's such such an awesome thing. But he says, be fully present. I love that. You know what that means is that in your days, you have that Jerusalem off in your mind. How many people walk around just half here? Because all they're focusing on is what the future is. And he says, that's not right. He says, you need to be fully present. I mean, that's the reality. If if we're going to Jerusalem, that's cool. But when we're in Jericho, guess what our focus needs to be? Jericho. Jerusalem will come. Don't worry about it. It's going to happen. It'll come. We need to stop running through Jericho moments in our lives and instead ask God to work inside of them. If we were Jesus, would we have noticed Zacchaeus sitting inside of that tree? Or would we have just walked by and not even looked up? Maybe we wouldn't have even noticed him, and it would have never taken place. Even if we want to use these times, even if we realize the fact that today is Jericho, and today is something that's special, we still need God to show us who these people are, just like God showed Jesus, who Zacchaeus was. It talks about how Jesus depended on the Holy Spirit. He was still a man when he was here on earth. Even though he was part God, part man, he was still man. He depended on the Holy Spirit to lead him just like we do. And this comes by simply asking God. You can think about a whole bunch of different ways and try to find some certain recipe, but this is pretty much how it works. is If you ask God to show you those people, he's going to do it. Because God wants to get people saved. God wants people to understand who he is. We need to start out our days by asking the Holy Spirit to fill us and to control us. The very beginning of the day, stop and say, Holy Spirit, I want you to fill me, and I want you to work through me today in everything that I do. Or how about this? When we enter into our world, wherever that may be, whatever circumstance that may be, pausing for one second and connecting with God, asking him what's supposed to happen. Who's here? Who is standing out just like Zacchaeus ready that I'm going to bump into? You have to be ready to, to see that. I mean, think about it like this. is like you've got to put on your 3D glasses. You guys ever go to a 3D movie? Or how about one of those new real-D movies? Anyone been to one? I've been to one. If you take it off, it sucks. <laughs> it's a mess. Everything is all blurry, and it doesn't make sense. It's flat and weird. And you put on your glasses, and everything comes to life and springs from the picture. We have to stop and we have to ask God for our 3D glasses. We have to take and we have to put on God's view of what the world is going to be so those things stand out to us. Otherwise, it'll just look like a mess, just a flat piece of, of garbage. What if every time we went to a place where people were there, every time we went to a place where we see a number of people, we stopped in our cars for even just one minute and we asked God, who is here in my school, in the store, outside, in this restaurant, who is here that I'm supposed to talk to? Who is here that is just like Zacchaeus today and they're ready? Something has changed in their hearts. Who are you going to show me? And you have to be ready to do it. What if we looked at every moment as our mission? We all have Jerusalems what if we looked at every moment, every second in Jericho as precious and realized, what are we going to do with this moment today? Literally, all of eternity could be changed. Who knows what God would have to happen. There's a couple of cool, I was at uh, this Alpha conference. A few people were there, um, like Nicole was there, um, and Gina and, and Ethan, there's this guy who was, who was speaking, and he was talking about waiting for the Holy Spirit to tell you stuff. It was really cool. He had a bunch of different stories. But this one he's talking about sitting on a plane next to this woman who was just talking, 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 talking. He says he can't stand it because he says I don't, he doesn't like those people who just talk on flights. And while she was talking, God whispered inside of his head real lightly, the reason why this woman is where she was at, where he was flying back from. I don't even remember where it was at. She flew out here to go cheat on her husband. She came here to cheat with a man. Commit adultery. He's like, whoa. He's like, that's strange. And as she's talking and talking and talking, she turns to him out of the blue and says, do you have any idea why I came to the city? And he stops, and he's like, oh, God, no. He says, yeah, I do. He says, you came here to commit adultery, to cheat on your husband. And he says, the woman's face just fell, just completely changed. And she's just awestruck. She says, how in the world did you know that? And he says, this is even worse. Because he's like, oh, God. He says, God told me. And that opened this whole conversation. He says, the whole flight was spent talking about that. But what does it mean that God told you? Why would God tell you? And he talked about it. He says, she didn't give her life to Christ on that flight. He says, but, he says, do you understand everything that could, like, I mean, can you just wrap your mind about what could have been changed in that moment? For her to realize the fact that maybe God is actually paying attention to her and sees that stuff? It's just crazy. This other story, though, Dave told me on Sunday as we, we were talking about this message, and it's just mind-blowing. Dave Short, who's um, the director of, of Campus Alpha, and he's the, the main guy over top, me. he's my boss when it comes to fusion. Um, he's talking about just thinking about every day and thinking about using those moments in these, in these Jericho times, like what God has for him. He's talking about a time he, he was going out to eat. He was at a Panera, and it was his day off, and he was going to go get something to eat, and he was going to read. And then he was going to go home because he had other reading to do and stuff to do. But as he's sitting there reading, he noticed this girl across the restaurant. He says she really caught his attention, just like I started with, where you kind of feel that weird that weird connection deep down inside yourself. And he started thinking about it and he's like, hmm. So he got up, took his stuff, his book, and he went over and he sat closer to her, like one table away. And she takes and she has her computer out and stuff, and she gets on her phone and she's just like losing it. Like yelling at someone. She's like, You can't be you gotta be kidding me, there's no way this is happening. She's like that's just and she's just like freaking out. And she finally she takes and hangs up and she's like, I gotta get out of here. So she goes outside and begins to pace in front of the Panera. And Dave is like, whoa, what's going on? So he's sitting there waiting and waiting and looking at the watch because he's like, I need to get home. He's like, seriously? He's like, my Jerusalem, sitting down and resting. He's like, I had a long, hard week. All I wanted to be in there was for like a half an hour to get food, get home, read, and chill. And he says, and this woman is just outside pacing back and forth, he says, forever. He's I'm literally just standing there looking. I'm like, oh my God, this woman has been out here for just what seems like an eternity. He's like waiting, waiting. And every single time he felt like, I'm just going to get up and leave. Every single time he felt like, no, no, there's, I can't just get up and walk away from this. There feels like there's something here. And finally this woman comes back in and she just kind of plops down and she's huffing, puffing. And he says, um, he leans over and he says, hey, are you okay? And the girl says, you would not believe the week that I have had. And Dave just said, well, you know what? He says, try me. He says, go ahead and tell me. The woman goes on to say this. She's an art teacher. She's been an artist her whole life. She got this new job out in California. And they said they had this job, but it was immediate. She had to come and take this job. So she took and she sold everything she had. She took all of her possessions. I mean, like paintings, personal stuff. She put it on this truck, and she had it sent out so it would be there when she flew out to meet it, all of her possessions on this truck. After this, her mom has a heart attack, and there's no other family around the area. Her mom has a heart attack, very, very bad condition, so she takes her to the hospital. She's the only one, so she stays with her. In the process of staying with her mother, the job calls her and tells her that she didn't get the job because she didn't come immediately, because she had to stay with her her mom. Because she couldn't fill the position, because she had to stay there for a few days with her mom, she lost the position. They filled it with someone else. So now she doesn't have a job in California. She already sold all of her stuff, and she's still planning on going to California. So now she's trying to call people and find out if there's some other job opening she could possibly get out there, because everything's riding on already going out there. Amongst, amongst all of this, she gets a call from like the Montana county, like the Montana, uh, what do they call, like the border patrol, and they say, hey, we found your truck ditched on the border of Canada that has all your possessions in it. We found your numbers with it, so we're going to call you. I guess the people who were supposed to drive it to California took her money, left the truck, and ran with the cash and just ditched the truck up there. All of her possessions, everything she has in life is stuck in this truck up somewhere in Montana. She can't go get the stuff in Montana because she's with her mom, who's in critical condition. She couldn't afford to go there anyway right now anyway because she just had to quit all this other stuff, sell everything, and try to move out to California. And now she doesn't even have a job, so she doesn't know how she's going to get money. And everything's stuck up there. She's honest to God. She's I do not know what to do right now. She says, it's just everything is wrong. So Dave said, well, let me just... Let me just see for a second. He says, I have some friends in Montana. So he says, can I use your, your computer? So he got on the computer, and what he did is he searched Assemblies of God churches in the area where this truck was broken down at. And he found one, and he called, he called this pastor, and he told him who he was. You know, he's an Assemblies of God missionary. And he told her this, him this story about this woman. And the pastor said, you know what? He says, actually, you're in luck. He says, we have someone who could get that truck, and they could drive it to California for her. He says, they could take that truck and drive it down there. He says, it's not that far. He says, we got people who are really nice guys. He says, I could get a guy. And he says, he could get it and drive it down there for her and get it there. So he hands up the phone. He says, you know what? He says, I found a guy. He says, here's a number. He says, He's going to come and he'll get that truck and he'll drive it down there. And she says, who did you call? And he says, I called an Assemblies of God pastor. She says, what's Assemblies of God? So he got to explain what the Assemblies of God is. And this girl turns to him and she says, you know, if every person in the Assemblies of God was as nice as you, she says, I'd be there next Sunday he says, well, I can't promise you that everyone in every somebody's of God church is going to be as nice as me or whatever, be, you know, in this situation at the right time like I was. He says, but, you know, he started talking to her about what what she believed with God. And she says, you know, it's weird that you're, you're here to talk about this. She says, I was raised Jehovah's Witness. And she says, when I was just a little girl and I got really, really interested in art and dance, you know, that's been my passion. She says that The leaders above me, the pastors, told me that that was evil, and that God does not like dance and art. That those things are not in His in His vocabulary, and that those things are sinful and evil. She says they told me that God didn't appreciate those things in my life, and that they were sinful. And she says I turned away from God. She says I walked away from because I couldn't understand how in the world these deepest passions in my heart were against God, and she says it broke my heart so much. And he stopped and he, he says, you know, he says, no. He says, dancing and music, he says, that's filled in the Bible. He says, you share creativity. You share what God's central characteristic is. He says, you know, there's been men who have been trying to paint the mountains for years and years and years, and they can never capture the beauty of what God created. And he says, there's dancing in the Bible. He says, God instituted dan- dancing. He says, you know, David danced in the presence of God. He says, just show his love. And he says, God is the most creative force. And he says, I don't think you understand. He says, God doesn't hate you for those things. He says, God loves you for those things. And he says, you can't imagine her face just change. He says, just the shock on her face. And she says, I have never heard someone tell me that God loved me for who I am. She says, my whole life I was told that those things were evil and that God hated me for who I was. Jesus, I've never heard anyone say that God loved me for that. Can you imagine? I mean, you talk about that Jericho moment, okay? It wasn't, it didn't feel right, you know? I mean, right place, wrong time. Dave had to be somewhere. He had to go and do something. There was that Jerusalem on his mind. And he stayed, and he got to tell someone for the very first time in their life that God loved them. I can't even imagine that. Do you see the power in that? I mean, the central theme of what God is, love, this woman had never, ever experienced. And he had to be part of that because he forgot about that Jerusalem and focused on what Jericho was now, about waiting because there was something there. And there's power inside that. You just, I mean, I can't even imagine. The story just blew me away when he told it. I said, I can't imagine being the person to tell someone for the very first time that God loved them. It's just amazing. Like Jesus, we have to be aware of what God has for us inside of our Jericho. To not be so focused on the Jerusalem that God probably provided for our lives. If we're saved and we're really trying to do what God has for us, that Jerusalem isn't a bad thing. God gave us that Jerusalem, that final goal. It's probably something beautiful and amazing. But you can't just focus on that. You have to walk in the moment that you're in and be fully present right there on what God is doing and what you're supposed to do. We have to respond like Jesus did. Jesus was open and he was looking for what God had. He saw Zacchaeus in a tree and he saw that God was doing something in his heart and he interacted with him. He interacted with him, which is really cool too. Because you see what happened when he did interact with him, is the people all mocked Jesus, because Zacchaeus was the lowest of lows. That says something too, doesn't it? Is that when we walk through our through our Jericho's and we find somebody that just strikes a chord, it might be someone that, man is rough, someone who's annoying, maybe someone who even scares you a little bit. You really don't feel comfortable talking to, but you feel that in your heart that there's something there. And you'd be willing to do that. Someone who is the lowest of lows, you know, like I said, like, by, you know, comparison today is someone like, yeah, like a prostitute or something where people, you know, they carry so much on them and there's so much on them, you know, to be talking to someone like that. Somebody would judge you. But who cares with that because if God's calling you to do that, that you do it. And also the fact that Jesus wasn't just, he didn't just interact with him, but he postponed that Jerusalem moment. When the Jericho moment happened that he met Zacchaeus, he didn't say, Zacchaeus, come on down. I want to shake your hand, but I have to be off to Jerusalem. He said, Zacchaeus, come on down. Tonight I'm going to go eat at your house, and we're going to hang out. That was Jesus' response. You see, it wasn't just the fact that he he was looking in that Jericho moment, but that he was also willing to then postpone Jerusalem to be part of that Jericho moment. You see what that means for us is, like when we meet those people, be willing to actually say the same thing. Let's go get a bite to eat and let's hang out. Whatever that thing was that's pressing on my mind, it can wait because this is important and I'm here right now for a reason. That thing can wait. It'll come. God's leading us if we're willing but a lot of times there's things that hold us back. And just to name a few that just come into my mind when I thought about this, what's keeping us from being fully present in these Jericho moments? First, our sin. Very often we don't hear God's voice in our minds because they are clouded, clouded with sin. And a lot of times we're so not used to hearing God's voice that when that moment comes, we don't hear it. We don't hear it. There's a, uh, in James 4, 7 through 10, just to, just to read it for you, it says, So let God work his will in you. Yell a loud no to the devil and watch him scamper. Say a quiet yes to God and he'll be there in no time. Quit dabbling in sin. Purify your inner life. Quit playing the field. Hit bottom and cry your eyes out. The fun and games are over. Get serious, really serious. Get down on your knees before the master. It's the only way that you'll be able to get back on your feet. You see, a lot of times that sin clouds our minds and it clouds our spirit. And when we go into those Jericho moments, we don't even notice it because we're so not used to hearing God's voice. We're so not used to feeling the spirit inside of us. And what they're saying is you have to hit bottom and say, no, I'm going to take and cut those things out of my life, even if it hurts, because I want to get closer to you and I don't want stuff to separate me from you. Another thing that keeps us from it is fear. Fear comes over us. That feeling comes inside you when you feel like you're supposed to talk to that person. But fear comes right with it. You think, what's going to happen? What are they going to think of me? Oh, you know, what am I going to say to them? This is all from Satan. Because there's these moments that are orchestrated. But the enemy's going to try to step in and stop them before they get to happen. You remember me talking about when these situations happen, we always have to remember in our minds, move. The fact that God is always calling us to do that next step. When those feelings come, and when those, those feelings of doubt come, and like I said, the too late is right around the corner coming to take away that opportunity, you have to remember, move, and you have to step forward in that. Think about this. Because I'm a very logical person a lot of times when I, think about, when I think about these things. What is the worst thing that could happen? Someone could think you're weird. They could say you're crazy. I mean, I guess maybe someone could be so angry that they take it and like knock you down. I highly doubt around Aria you're gonna get shot. Maybe. I mean, I guess that would be the absolute worst. Maybe you get shot for what you say, but I highly doubt it. I mean, people witness to you know gangs and all this different stuff all the time, and they don't get shot just for talking about God. What's the worst thing that could happen? Yeah, maybe you're a little uncomfortable. Maybe you get looked at a little weird. What's the best that could happen? Someone's eternity being changed. Their eternity, where they're going to spend the rest of time, could be changed from hell to heaven. When you put that on a scale, it doesn't even come close to balancing, does it? You no, know, the positives outweigh the negatives so heavy. I think, obviously, I can step forward in this because, man, if there's even one little bit of positive, it's going to outweigh that negative. Lastly, we don't remember. Oftentimes, we, we lose the passion and the zeal in our minds, and we get caught up in that busyness, and we're not present in our Jericho. You have to be. You have to really focus on it. You have to start each day, like I said, by asking God to be with you. There's a really cool thing. You know, Nicole actually told me about this a long time ago. It's one of her favorite verses, um, which is really cool. But reading it over again really it brought something to me. It's in Numbers uh, 15, uh, 38 through 39. And what it says is, um, it says, talking about the people um, of, like, Jerusalem, the people who are going out and looking for the Promised Land. It says to uh, Moses here, he says, Tell them that from now on they're to make tassels on the corners of their garments, and to mark each corner tassel with a blue thread, when you look at these tassels, you remember and keep all the commandments of God. God instituted reminders. Isn't that crazy to think about? You think it's our thought to like take sticky notes and write a prayer request on it and post it somewhere to remind us. God instituted reminders all the way back at this time. To say that you can take and you can lose track of it. And he says, go ahead and tie tassels on the corners of your garments. And when you look at them, you'll remember that I'm God and you'll follow those things. Put reminders in your life. If you want to take and you want to start living like this, take a sticky note, take something, write it on it and put it in your car. Put it somewhere where you're going to see it that when you stop, you actually actually think and say, no, I'm not going to just walk through this Jericho thinking about Jerusalem, but instead I'm going to be fully present aware. I'm going to stop and ask God for even just 1 minute, is there someone here? Is there someone here that you want me to talk to? Someone who's supposed to hear just even the smallest thing from me? To be present in that. Like I said before, Jerusalem's are important. Don't lose sight of them. Jesus never forgot where he was going. But he didn't let that stand in his way of what was supposed to happen in Jericho. He was ready and present and willing to step forward and do something there. Can you imagine what would happen if all of us took this and put it on our hearts? Can you imagine just how many situations could arise if we were fully present and always asking God, who, where? And when you walk through those aisles, when you walk through those aisles to go get that toilet paper, to go get that milk, that you connect eyes with people and you look for people that God's gonna put on your heart you actually look and say, is there someone here? And you're present in that moment to say, who's ready? I can't imagine everything that God could do through that, to be ready. What will become of your Jerichos? Hopefully they'll become as impressive as what God has for you in Jerusalem. I want to pray with you guys. God, I thank you so much for that verse that we read about salvation. And God, for that verse that just describes what your love means and what, and what you did for us, that you set the world straight once again by your death, that you set it straight so that we can have life with you, but that you told us that we're supposed to be telling people this story. God, I, I thank you for Jerusalem's, but God, that every single day we walk through our life, we are just in that Jericho moment that there are people around us just like Zacchaeus, Jesus Christ, that as you walked through that town that you recognized him because God put his, his, his heart on your mind, that you saw him and called him down, that you would just put that same spirit inside of us, that we would be fully present in now, whether that be in a, in a, in a store, Lord God, or, or anywhere, just in our lives, that we are going to start being present now in Jericho. And Lord, I just can't wait. And I thank you, God, for those who will come to know Jesus Christ, who will come to know you because of being present here in Jericho. I thank you, God, and I pray you that you would bless those who take a hold of this. Just as a thing, all you guys who still have your eyes closed, Um, if any of you guys ever want to give your life to Christ, not really a big, uh, like, you know, emotional, uh, here's the altar thing, but if any of you guys want to, You can always just take and you can catch my eye or you can take and afterwards, just come up and talk to me. Really simple and we can just talk about what salvation is. It doesn't have to be anything like a big ceremony. It's just about your heart. Lord, I thank you for tonight. I pray that you would bless every single person as they leave here tonight. I pray to you, God, that you would just change our hearts. It's in your name that I pray, Jesus Christ. Amen.